0: If out there, play
1: twice and keep listening. Play twice and keep
0: listening. Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm allison and this is Podcast Without an Audience. We're two friends, pick two topics and find intersections. Or not! and we were just talking about adulting before we started recording we were also talking about boob tape so if anybody has suggestions on how that works yeah or any
1: experience with boob tape and nipple piercings yeah reach out that combo specifically
0: specifically yeah um but yeah we were (laughs) I was talking about I was like god I need to get my um what do I need to my car registration
1: done this year Mm -hmm. this I mean it's don't pull me over, but it's it's expired. Well, and then I was telling you that not only is mine expired, I never put the sticker on from last year. So it looks like I'm two years behind. Really, I'm only one. That is wild. So when they run your plates, they would know that it's not expired. Correct. Correct. But they wouldn't... I wonder if they... It's, I mean, if someone's really being a dick, they could still give me a ticket for it.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Did you keep the sticker
1: in your car or in your home? See, the problem is 2020 was a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. So I got it in the mail. Mm-hmm. I promptly brought it inside because it was raining that day. I remember it very You have a very clear memory. I do, yeah. I brought it inside, and I took it upstairs to my office where I was working, and I put it on top of my wallet because I also had to send a picture to our HR because I had to have, uh, you know, updated in the H- HR system So I was like, let me just take it inside and do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is still in my office. (laughs) To this very day. What's funny is I no longer work in my office. I now work on the dining room table, which is why I never think about it until I'm in my car on the road somewhere, probably about three hours from my house. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I should have Mm -hmm. put the sticker on. Put
0: sucker on.
1: Yeah, but because I never go up in my office anymore... I have not once thought about it at home.
0: I have memories of in twenty twenty in twenty twenty when lockdown happened. I was working for um, an essential business, and so I was still going into the office. I never worked from home, mm-hmm. and so I remember being on the road at like eight a.m. and there was nobody. It was wild.
1: Yeah, I remember when they were like, there were billboards that said stay home, mm-hmm. um, like along the highways. Cause I remember going to my mom's house to house sit for them um, and driving there and didn't see another car for the whole hour drive. What, really? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. What? That's so apocalyptic. It felt very apocalyptic. No wonder I'm traumatized. We're
0: all, are, is everyone okay? <laughs> Sound check. Are you all out there? Are you okay? <laughs> Blink twice if you need help. Uh, Dolly, stop. She's scaling the dresser. Get it life. Get a life. Get a job.
1: Start contributing to this family. Yeah. Rent free for three years. Are you kidding? I know. I'm trying to get Moby and Oliver to start paying up, but they're not having it. I had this, you know, I when
0: I had Jasper, Jasper was my Sphinx cat who I loved very dearly. I always envisioned that he would wear cardigans and have maybe, like, a paper route or, like, a chimney
1: sweep job. For sure he would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would essentially be Dick Van Dyke. Yeah.
0: I think Dolly uh, would not. She would, She's well kept. She's, like, a stay-at-home.
1: Yeah. <laughs> she might have a bedazzled collar. Yeah. Uh, rhinestones, real, yeah. you know. Pulling out all the stops. Like in the Aristocats, the white cat, that's her. Duchess. Duchess. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't know. Like, I am figuring out Moby's personality still. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he is the little orange cat, Mm -hmm. Toulouse, who, like, wants to be a Tomcat, but Uh is not quite a Tomcat. But, like, (laughs) yeah, that one. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's cute. So I think he would wear a bow tie, but it would always be crooked. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Bow ties are really hard. They are. I yeah. borrowed bow ties in college to do my communications degree speeches in from my old roommate Will. Oh, thank you, Will. He he was he had like the nicest shit. He was always like if you ruin this, you are replacing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember you going through a bow tie phase. I did. Dress up, you know. You got to dress to impress. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to pull off bow ties, but I think I'm, like, I feel too femme presenting for that some days. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, like, trying to lean more into this androgynous situation. You can, it goes one of two ways.
0: It's like a cute, you know, it's a statement or you look like Orville Redenbacher.
1: I'm trying to avoid the Orville Redenbacher. Mm -hmm. If at all possible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's no in between. Right. There's zero in between. But I feel like your style has
1: evolved. Thank you. Thank you. Looking good. I appreciate that. I try really hard these days. Mm -hmm. I'm trying more now that I'm going into an office more regularly and other people look at me. Yeah. I don't just wear pajama bottoms with a cute top every day. Right. Right. That habsy situation. Yep. But it's definitely helping, Mm -hmm. like helping me feel good about the things I'm wearing again. I was feeling very cute and gay on Wednesday. I wore like a silk or a satin, like burgundy brownish top. Cute. And a blazer yeah. and black dress pants and loafers. I was just hella feeling it. It's the loafers. It's the loafers. I love a good loafer. Me too. I've got the same pair in two colors. I struggle with the winter weather because.
0: I want to wear dresses. Also, like, the temperature inside is tough because if it's really cold outside, it's, like, really hot inside. I've never been able to manage to find anywhere where I am comfortable in both. Right. Right. It's a hard-knock life for us. This privileged experience is just really (laughs) tough for me.
1: (laughs) See, I like winter because I love blazers and, like, sweaters and feeling warm. I feel like it's really when my wardrobe starts to pop. Yeah. I think I need more long-sleeve shirts. We can go shopping if you like. Thank you. We're very grown up, I'm realizing. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about having a sense of fashion. I didn't get that until after college. The fashion, the
0: sensations are throwing me off a lot because people are dressing like I did in elementary school. And they're grown ups.
1: Yep. And they're feeling it.
0: And they're feeling it. I don't know that they necessarily should be. Mm. My fear is that I will regret certain things. So when I think about like when I think about being photographed, I want to be timeless. Yeah. So I'm concerned about things like eyebrows.
1: Eyebrows are very important.
0: Eyebrows are very important, but they're also very stylized and you can tell what decade
1: you are based on how your eyebrows are. Except for me, my eyebrows have consistently always looked this way. Mm-hmm. But you're right, born In this general, way, baby. Generally speaking, yeah, you can tell like who plucked a lot when they were uh-huh. kids, and
0: yeah, yeah. And um,
1: then the really thick eyebrow phase.
0: Well, the extra extra like concealer-lined like thick brows was a big mistake. What people are really gonna regret are these fake eyelashes. Oh, I don't think so. Are you kidding me? Fake eyelashes are great. The ones that are permanent, that they glue onto your eyelids and you wear them for like weeks and weeks. And then then when they fall out, they take your eyelashes with them. And then you look like you have a butterfly in your eyelashes. You look like you have a butterfly in your eyelashes? Yeah, they're so fucking... Some of these girls get them like... It's like a feather duster
1: on their eyelids. Oh, I have seen those. Yeah, those definitely feel like uh, someone's future regret. Oh, it's yeah. like when everyone was putting feathers back in their hair. Like, you know, the little blue <laughs> feather. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, we all regretted that time of the 2010s, too.
0: I wonder what we'll regret next. I um, love that. And then it will be history. And, and then we will cover it. <laughs> of history and psychology. Is that good? Was that?
1: Yeah, I'll count it. Yeah. We'll take it. Sure. What are we talking about today? <laughs> Well, mine, uh, I was actually, as you were about to transition, trying to figure out my own transition. So thank you for doing it for me. Anytime. Um, Because here was my transition. Do you ever feel like your life is a movie? Or just imagine that there is, like, an audience of people watching you right now? Have you ever thought about that?
0: Uh, Sometimes in the car. Do you remember Motor Mouth? It was, like, a hidden camera show where they, like had people in the car, like, video- cameras in the car, like, while you're uh-huh. singing, driving down the road. I do think about what if somebody was videotaping me as
1: I was driving down the road. Sure, sure. That's fair. mm mm-hmm. um, I remember being 21 and laying out under the stars, and a friend of mine, like, brought up this conversation. There may have been some substances involved. <laughs> we talked about, like, if you are the main character in your movie... hmm And there's this whole audience watching you. Like, who do they clap for when someone comes on stage? Or, Uh like, who do they boo when it's time for someone to go? Like, kind of thinking about having main character energy. Yeah. Right? Um, And for me, like, that was kind of a comforting thought. Like, if I'm living my life to the fullest extent to keep me, like, myself, the main character, happy, then the audience gets to cheer. Like, am I making choices that are, are good and like with uh, with applause? Yeah. Like, I just want people to clap for me all the time. It's really what it I got boils you. down to. Like, I want the theme song every time I walk into uh-huh. a room. Anyways. Dun, dun,
0: dun, dun, dun,
1: dun. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You nailed it. Anyways, I guess the other side of that is that it's also super trippy to think about the possibility that the people around you might be like just paid actors. Like, Mm. If you are the main character, is everyone around you in on the fact that they're part of your story or are they all paid actors? And I guess to that extent, it's like, what part of this do you want to focus on? Right? Mm -hmm. Like if your life is a story or a movie and you're the main character, are you excited about having a little audience or are you creeped out about the fact that everyone around you is in on this but you? In 2012, Joel Gold and Ian Gold, who are brothers, published a paper in the Journal of Cognitive Neuropsychiatry about a phenomenon that they dubbed the Truman Show Delusion. Ah. This is based on the 1998 film, The Truman Show. Was it 1998? It was. Oh, my God. With Jim Carrey? Yeah. Yeah. Which tells the fictional story of Truman Burbank whose life was being filmed and broadcast as a soap opera without his knowledge. All the people around Truman are paid actors. As the movie goes on, Truman begins to realize that something is amiss. Due to the high ratings of the show, however, the producers attempt to keep the show going. So the actors around him are instructed to tell Truman that he's just, like, imagining all these little things. Yeah,
0: it's a good one.
1: And, like, they even try suggesting that he might be mentally ill. hmm The Truman Show delusion, or Truman Syndrome, is a type of delusion in which the person believes that their lives are staged by a reality show and or that they are being watched on camera at all times. (sighs)
0: So
1: this is like the not-so-happy side of my little audience in my head. Uh Uh-oh. Gold and Gold describe this condition as, quote, "...a novel delusion, primarily precursory." in form in which the patient believes that he is being filmed and that the films are being broadcast for the entertainment of others. We describe a series of patients who presented with a delusional system according to which they were the subjects of something akin to a reality TV show. First, before we get to the five uh, case studies that they present as evidence of this phenomenon, I think we need to talk about what is a delusion. Because we kind of know about it in abstract terms, Mm -hmm. but... What the fuck is it? So delusions are fixed, fallacious beliefs based on, based on an altered reality that is persistently held despite evidence or agreement to the contrary, generally in reference to a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. In 2014, Gary Greenberg wrote in the New York Times, quote, current psychiatric practice is to treat delusions as the random noise generated by a malfact- malfunctioning brain a strategy that would be more convincing if doctors had an idea of how the brain produced madness and how to cure it. According to the Golds, ignoring the content of the delusions can make a mentally ill person feel even more misunderstood, even as it distracts the rest of us from the true significance of the delusion, that we live in a society that puts us all under surveillance." Mm-hmm. TSD sufferers may be paranoid, but that does not mean that they are wrong to think that the whole world is watching. Oh, my God. That's like the cell phone thing. Oh, yeah. <gasps> and it goes deep, and it's fascinating. Whoa. So this whole thing exists on a spectrum, right? Okay. And we're going to talk about that spectrum more. But first, I want to tell you about the five patients that Gold and Gold studied. Um, Only five? Well, they presented five case studies. Oh, so, okay. Um, One was a psychiatrist, or one was a neuropsychiatrist, and the other was a psychologist, maybe. Mm -hmm. But they were both, like, into mental health. Okay. And they each individually had these patients came together and said, this is a weird thing I'm seeing. Are you seeing this, too? And these were the five that they agreed on would be the most compelling for their research study. All right. So, number one. Mr. A believed for more than five years that something was amiss with his life. He believed that the 9-11 attacks were fabricated and traveled to New York City to try and see the t- Twin Towers, believing that if they were still standing, that it was proof that he was the star of his own show.
0: Oh my God.
1: So he showed up and they were not there, uh-huh. but it did not change his belief. Uh, okay. He also believed that all of the people in his life had cameras implanted in their eyes, and that everyone was in on this conspiracy. Wow. Mr. A was formally diagnosed with chronic paranoid schizophrenia, mm-hmm. which is a fitting thing. Yeah, checks out. Yeah. Then we have Mr. B. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, I see there's a the theme. theme. Yes. Mr. B believed that he was continuously recorded for national broadcast. Mm-hmm. He believed that he, quote, was and am the center of attention by millions and millions of people. My family and everyone I knew were and are actors in the script, a charade whose entire purpose is to make me the focus of the world's attention. Wow. Uh, he That's went on, bold. It's a bold statement. He went on to attempt suicide three times due to dysphoria, hopelessness, and delusions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Mr. B was formally diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, the bipolar type. Um, And the difference between schizophrenia and schizoaffective, I will cover at a later date. But basically, schizophrenia deals more with hallucinations. Schizoaffective is more about feeling detached from reality. Gotcha. Yeah. Then we have Mr. C. Oh, Mr. C. Mr. C believed that the stories in the newspapers, online, and on television were created by his colleagues in the media for his own personal amusement. Huh. He believed that everything around him was fake and that everyone else was in on the trick. This reminds me of like George Orwell's 1984 mm-hmm. where they change the stories in the newspaper yeah. like based on whatever you know and then destroy all all the old fake copies. Right,
0: right. Oh my goodness. That would be such a scary place.
1: Yeah, to be cuz nothing say. is true. Right. Like you and can't that differentiate everybody
0: is out to get you. I mean, it's like that that feeling where you get like somebody's talking about you. Oh, absolutely. Constantly. Constantly.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mr. C was formerly diagnosed with bipolar disorder with psychotic features. Okay. Do you want to guess who's next? D, baby. Yep. We got Mr. D. Mr. D worked on a reality TV show... In real life. Oh, really? And then came to believe that his life was the one actually being broadcast. Really? Mm -hmm. He also believed that his thoughts were being controlled by a film crew paid for by his family.
0: Paid for by his family. That's Mm -hmm. very specific.
1: Yep. Um, Mr. D was diagnosed formally with bipolar disorder.
0: Okay. He worked. We happen to... I guess we don't know which reality show he worked on. We don't. No. I wonder what his... Job was on the reality show.
1: I mean, on the production side, was he on set? Was he? Who knows, right? But I can imagine that if you're already like teetering with your mental health and stability, and then being around a reality TV show where there are all these cameras, and you're predisposed to having delusions, yeah, that that could be really triggering. Oh yeah, yeah. Then we have Mister E. Oh, Mister E. Mr. E. believed that the Secret Service was following him. Hmm. He, quote, believed that he was the master of the scheme that involved everyone, including hospital staff, and everyone around him was actors. He thought he might be recorded while he was in the hospital, and he believed that the news was fabricated and the radio was recorded just for him. Mm -hmm. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia form disorder. Okay. Which I had never heard of. Yeah,
0: I'd never heard of anything.
1: Um, but apparently it's similar to schizophrenia, except that it's much shorter. Schizophrenia lasts for years or a lifetime, and this one lasts up to six months. Oh, so it's temporary. It's more temporary, yeah. Okay. Yep. Gold and Gold were not overly successful in finding other people who had had similar symptoms or other doctors who reported similar cases. So mm-hmm. they had, like, these five and maybe a few others three of the five specifically referenced the Truman show during their interactions with golden gold. Okay. So they're like, I feel like I can relate to this. This is what my life is feeling like, mm-hmm. uh, which is why it got the name. Right. Uh, Truman syndrome or uh, Truman show disorder. They did note that their case studies gave rise to a few questions. And this is the piece that I find the most interesting. Number one, how precisely should people's delusions be characterized? Hmm. Number two, what does the delusion contribute to the understanding of the role of culture in psychosis? And number three, what does the influence of culture on delusion suggest about the cognitive process underlying delusional belief? And we are coming back to those. So don't feel like you have to remember them. The cultural piece is what I find really interesting Delusions are tied to a person's life experiences, and contemporary culture obviously plays an important role in that. For example, psychiatrist Joseph Viner commented, in the 1940s, psychotic patients would express delusions about their brains being controlled by radio waves. Now, delusional patients commonly complain about being implanted with computer computer chips. Mm Mm-hmm. Which tracks, right? right? Yeah. like as, things, as
0: technology evolves.
1: Exactly. Like our delusions play into our fears.
0: Well, and also those are things that are portrayed in the media. Exactly. Like You wouldn't necessarily, th- I mean, you might, but probably not necessarily think that specific chip example unless
1: you'd heard it somewhere. Right. Well, and it makes me think about things like the matrix. Mm-hmm or 1984, um, or other dystopian or futuristic cultural films or books, and how those might impact people who are prone to delusions. Mm -hmm. What made the Truman Show plausible was that it was a reality show. Viner points out, quote, Reality shows are so visible, it's an area that a patient can easily incorporate into a delusional system. Such a person would believe that they are consistently being videotaped, watched, and commented on by a large TV audience. So let's go back to these three questions. Number one, how precisely should people's delusions be characterized? I think it's a great question, but it's probably the least interesting of the three to me, other than to ask the question, like, why do people have the delusions that they have? And that question is answered by the next two. But, like, how much do we need to characterize them so that we can better understand them? Mm -hmm. I think it's up to researchers and maybe not a podcast host. (laughs) Fair. Thank you. Number two, what does the delusion contribute to the understanding of the role of culture in psychosis? This one's really fascinating. So delusions are split from reality, even with evidence of a fallacious belief. So what role does culture play in psychosis? First, I think that there's a line here between questioning reality, questioning thoughts, beliefs, and opinions, and psychosis. Believing that everyone around you is a robot or that we're living in 1984 is obviously delusional. However, in the future, it may not be that far off. Like, in the future, AI is expected to get to the point where you literally can't tell between like a human <laughs> and a robot.
0: I don't love that.
1: No, but, say. like, I understand how that delusion comes about if you spend too much time ruminating on it, right? Right.
0: And that it is in fact, a possibility. It absolutely is. Maybe not right now, but if you fall I into mean, the conspiracy theory thing and think that if there's stuff they're not telling us, then absolutely.
1: Yeah, and that goes to my third point, which comes up with the third question, is what does the influence of culture on delusion suggest about the cognitive process underlying delusional belief? Yeah, and I think it goes back to fears and reality. Um, what shapes our perception of reality? And conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Like, how susceptible are you to believe in conspiracy theories? And then, within your mental health, how susceptible are you to delusions or hallucinations? Yeah. So, uh, quick disclaimer: I hate the wording of this quote, but I think it's an important one to share. Medical historian Roy Porter once wrote, quote, "Every age gets the lunatics it deserves." Hm. What can we learn about ourselves and our times from examining the content of madness? Isn't that the coolest yeah. question? Yeah. I love it because in some ways it reminds me of the quote that is, um, it's no sign of good health to be well-adjusted to a sick society. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be a balance here. So I'm not saying, so I I don't want to say that people who are experiencing delusions are those who are just not well-adjusted to a sick society because I, do think that there is a gray place in the middle mm-hmm. where you have a healthy skepticism about the things around you that does not border on delusion. Um, however, if we're wondering about the content of madness, maybe we can find roots in what makes society sick. Gary Greenberg, in that 2014 New York Times article I quoted, says, "Quote: People with TSD are those who, for whatever reason, are uniquely sensitive." To the resulting loss of privacy. They are, in other words, the canaries and the data mines of surveillance society because the canaries in the coal mines yeah. would sing whenever um, the mine was about to collapse. Like, right. So they brought canaries down with them saying something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking to people with delusions, they are based in this uh, Truman Show syndrome. And I mean, this is a little bit of a stretch. I'll give you that. But if we're looking to them as canaries in the fact that maybe there is something about privacy that we need to be exploring more, sure. something about technology, like we know that people, like we're being watched, I forget what how many cameras there are in society per person, oh, but no. China's is through the roof.
0: Well, I mean, if you count the camera phones on all of our personal devices i mean good gracious yeah i mean every laptop has a camera right built-in camera right that people can access and also all of these new like home um devices that like the doorbell thing and all of these um oh my god what's the word the uh
1: like ring yeah thing uh the keeps you surveillance systems yeah exactly yeah alarms Right. And even, like, in grocery stores, there are cameras watching you all the time. And, like, um, on stoplights, Mm -hmm. there are red light cams and... And elevators. And elevators. They are literally everywhere. I
0: do think about getting stuck in an elevator. Uh Uh-huh. And cell phone service doesn't work in the elevator that I frequent. And so, what would I do? That's a great question. And does the security guard, like... Where is that information being monitored? Who's Unclear.
1: Disney? Unclear this time. Um, a Psychology Today article I read points out: "Quote, obviously, watching reality TV does not cause psychotic or delusional episodes. However, these can appear to highlight what those with underlying illnesses like schizophrenia, who do watch reality TV shows, may develop delusions that seem somewhat familiar." Golden Gold concluded that cultural insights into these delusions are an essential part of understanding how these phenomena operate.
0: Phenomenal. So let me just go ahead and speak on behalf of everyone who watches reality TV, because I feel like I encompass. We are, we are are the demographic. Yeah. I, I mean, it, if if you're exposed to one particular thing, you genuinely start to believe that that's how the world works, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're exposed to anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easy to get sucked into something if you don't have anything to balance out your perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is one last thing. Important to note that this is not recognized or listed, listed in the DSM. Yes. So... Do it that what you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it is an interesting way to characterize delusions mm-hmm. and to look at how they can reflect culture back to us. Yeah.
0: I think that canary analogy is pretty spot on. There might right? be some type of there's truth, I guess, in every situation somewhere. Yeah. Deep down somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Wild. But, you know, I have thought before about what if people are watching me. I do, have fe- I do fear my, my phone, you know, uh,
1: turning its back on me. I mean, it definitely listens to everything we say. hmm But where does that go? I mean, the short answer is probably to data companies who just want to sell you shit. The long answer is probably the government. Right.
0: There's um, a town... Between here and my parents' house, which is like three hours away. And it houses the servers for Facebook for the East Coast. Really? Mm -hmm. And it's just this big, huge building, and all it is is servers. Fascinating. I know. So I would imagine... That there would be some something like that. I mean, where is all this data going? Yeah. And also, but if that's the case though, then there there are people who work there. hmm And where are those people? Right. It's a great question. It's run by robots, probably. You think so? Probably. Somebody has to know. The president? Mm hmm fascinating soup stoops
1: very cool thank you I am now paranoid yeah me too I love that yep for us yep yep uh do you want to take a quick break and then we will talk about some history let's do it we'll be right back
0: guys welcome back we had a little bit of a
1: break a little bit of a break (laughs) a little bit of a breakdown (laughs) a little emergency right in the middle there (laughs) okay Um, don't trust me to dog sit for you guys (laughs) and be very thankful that my brother doesn't listen to this podcast
0: (laughs) oh my goodness all right you guys our history topic for this week is gonna we're gonna be talking about henry ford which is
1: like who created the uh just wait. The line? The line, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That cool. is correct. The car guy. The car guy. Car guy with the line, got it. Car
0: guy with the line.
1: Was that basically all your notes? Yeah. We just we're done. There? We okay. can go home now.
0: So Henry Ford was born on July thirtieth, eighteen sixty three, in Springwell's Township, Michigan. His father, William Ford, was born in Ireland, and his mother, Mary, was born in Michigan to Belgian parents. Oh. Henry Ford was the oldest of four siblings. Okay. Oldest child. Okay. It's said that Henry's father gave him a pocket watch as a gift that sparked his interest in machinery and how things worked. Checks out. Pocket watches are fascinating. Everything goes back to childhood. Yep. By his preteen years, he was disassembling and reassembling watches as a way of entertainment. Like, he was a very smart guy. Or a very bored guy. This is, like, pre-TV. That is correct. Um, But he also had a reputation for being, like, a watch repair person as a child, which is really cool. That is really cool. Something else that was very significant to him during um, the year that he received the pocket watch was that he saw the operation of something called a Nicholas and Shepard road engine, which was a piece of farm equipment, but it was, like, mechanical Henry said it was, quote, the first vehicle other than a horse drawn that I had ever seen. That I had ever seen. Wow. So he's obviously becoming, like, we're planting the seed here. This all makes sense now, right, knowing that he's a car guy. I'm tracking you. He was very close with his mother growing up, and it was very hard for him when she died in 1876. When he was just 13 years old. Poor fella. And he was expected at such a young age to prepare himself for the future. Like, once his mom died, his dad was like, all right, so you're a man now. And uh, you need to start thinking about taking over the family business as a farmer, right? Henry Ford later wrote, quote, I never had any particular love for the farm. It was my mother on the farm I loved. Oh, yeah. In 1879, at age 15, Henry left the farm and walked nine miles to work in Detroit. Was it uphill both ways with no shoes on? Probably snowing. (laughs) Actually, it probably was snowing. Probably. Yeah. It's like cold. Yeah. There. For sure. So he was going to work um, as a machinist. A machinist's apprentice. That was hard to say. And he learned a lot doing that word. I won't say again. (laughs) (laughs) And he actually moved to another company where he continued learning. Blah, blah, blah. He's learning. Yeah. In 1882, he returned to the family farm. This is where he learned to use another piece of machinery that changed his life. Quote, the Westinghouse Farm Engine was a small vertical boiler steam engine built by Westinghouse Company that emerged in the late 19th century. Ooh. In the transition from horses to machinery, small portable engines were hauled by horses from farm to farm to give power where it was needed. It provided power to agricultural machines such as sawmills, threshing machines, no idea what that, no idea what those and corn shellers. Many small workshops used them as well, end quote. His knowledge of... His knowledge of this machine allowed him to seek employment by Westinghouse to operate and repair these steam engines. And, of course, he was multitasking like they did back in the day while studying bookkeeping. Good for him. I know. So he's just, like, really setting himself up for success right now. I know. I kind
1: of uh, feel like he really set the bar Mm -hmm. for... Himself. Himself. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even going to try and get there. (laughs) Uh, no. Multitasking is not a gift of mine. No.
0: Well, Well, I I was like, that's not true. No, it's not. (laughs) We're actually really good at it. Anyways. I don't know why I can't complete my sentences today.
1: I don't know why my brain hates me today, so. Oh. During this
0: time, he met a friend of his sister's named Clara Bryan, and he knew that she was the one. Aww. Initially, Clara did not want to date Henry, but
1: eventually the two fell in love. Does they, that ever, like, stress you out when you read that, you know, yeah. the girl was not into it at first, yeah. but then, like, eventually they get married? Yeah, also, I, I just can't relate to that at all.
0: Yeah, same. Like, I feel like back in the day, she was like, well, I guess
1: you're better than staying here. <laughs> See, my brain immediately goes to... I mean, I'd rather date girls, but if that can't happen, mm-hmm. then I guess this guy is okay. Oh, you go the lesbian route in I your do. brain. I okay. do. I do. Okay. I think it's because I had some lesbians in my family mm-hmm. way back when yeah. who either participated in compet or just stayed single. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Not you, boo-boo. No.
1: Breaking that cycle. That's right.
0: They did marry, and she wore a dress that she made by hand. Oh, sweet. I know. So wholesome. So, not uncommon for the day. It is the eighteen hundred. What's the other option?
1: Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it seems stressed but...
0: Go on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world was Etsy, basically. <laughs> it's a regional Etsy situation. So at this point, they were still working near the farm and still assisting with farm duties, but it wasn't enough for Henry. This was the period of an industrial boom, and he wanted to be a part of that. So on a trip to Detroit, Henry became obsessed with one of the gas-powered automobiles that he saw. Now these were not cars as we think of them today. Think of like um, a horse-drawn buggy with it. but engine. no doors. Okay, and it was powered by a motor. So think of like the like the in Cinderella, uh-huh. the, the the carriage. Sure. Think of that with just driving. Okay, with the horse or without the without, horse? Without a horse. Okay, yeah. so a horse-drawn carriage without a horse. Without a no horse. And no doors. Got it. And no doors. Why would you need a door? Do you know what I'm saying?
1: It, yeah. It's so like, why would you need a windshield or seatbelts? Oh, God. Overrated. Right? I'm just I'm kidding. So
0: his obsession with this was enough to move his wife to Detroit to get a job, of course, at Edison Eliminating Company? Eliminating company.
1: Illuminating. I said eliminating. It could be illuminating. It's one or the other for sure. It, but it's I'm thinking be. Edison light bulbs and Edison light bulbs are illuminating. illuminating. Good point.
0: Let's just go with that. Edison illuminating company. He worked his way up through the company and ended up doubling his salary. To what? Two dollars a week exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he was offered the position of chief engineer. Mm. He didn't stop his obsession with machinery and those gas-powered vehicles. He started to build his very own. And, of course, he did this in the shed behind his house. The quadricycle was what he was working on. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to put two bicycles. Okay. Got it. you with me? Yep. Side by side, connecting them. Okay. So it's like the tandem, but different. So, side bicycles side by side, connecting them with like a bench and then powering with a gasoline engine.
1: Brilliant. What could go wrong? Why didn't I think of that?
0: On June 4th, 1986, was his very first test run. Wait, 1986
1: or 1896? Oh. Yes, 1896. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: Who knows? My facts could be totally wrong because I, I just type my notes with my little muggle fingers. <laughs> 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 Who knows? They did break down once, but they were able to get it back up and running. And ultimately, it would be seen as a success. He had done it. He had built his very first car.
1: Aw, congratulations. Three years
0: later, later the D- Detroit Auto Mechanical Company opened with Henry Ford as the superintendent. The business only lasted one year. He could make a car, sure, but at this point he wasn't capable of making a business model to make a company run fully.
1: Right. His
0: next step was to build a race car.
1: Naturally. so Because when you go from two side-by-side bicycles. Absolutely. What comes next? Obviously a race the car. The race car. The, um, you know, moonshining, all that jazz. Sure. I'm thinking chariot races to race car. Like, oh, yeah. what was the progression there? Sure. Testosterone.
0: <laughs> um, So he did. He started racing cars. And, and some of the people he was doing business with thought that this was a careless decision. That it was a waste of time and that they could be focusing on creating a model for everyday people. So the people he was doing business with was like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you wasting your time Mm -hmm. and your resources? Racing cars. Well, what racing did, what it did do was give Henry Ford enough money to start Ford Motor Company. In July 1903, Ford sold his first car called the Model A to a dentist Mm -hmm. at this point henry was 40 by the next year they had sold a few hundred of the model a's he celebrated by buying his very first dress suit oh i know how wholesome (laughs) um the model b came out and it was an upgrade this was more of a luxury vehicle but it wasn't necessarily henry's vision like his vision was like to make the car for the everyday person. Sure. Henry didn't want to necessarily create the horseless carriage. He wanted it to be durable and for like he wanted it to be able to like go through fields and like he wanted to build a farm truck. Yeah, he wanted he wanted it to be useful. And so he built his ideal model. The Model T was a simple and reliable vehicle and also it was affordable.
1: Yes. The first, um, I think it's the first car that Big Daddy ever rode in was a Model T Ford. Jesus Christ! Yeah, Big Daddy was born in 1919. Holy shit! Yep, it was certainly the first convertible he ever rode in, or at least that's the joke he made <laughs> um, when he got to later ride in my mom's like little Miata convertible. Oh my god! But I think it was the first car he ever rode in was a, a Model T. T? Uh
0: huh. That is wild. I know. They did make them for a long time, which we'll cross that bridge here shortly.
1: Yeah, but this would have been an old school model T. Cause I it was like definitely pre his driving days. That is wild. Yep. That is so old.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was an old man. So it was this car was a huge success and it first hit the market in nineteen oh eight. Okay, so just
1: you know, 11 11 years before Big Daddy was born.
0: It was such a huge success that they had to announce that they couldn't accept any new orders until they were caught up on the waiting list. He had succeeded in creating a great product, but it did leave him with a production problem. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: His His current model, with employees working at stationary workbenches, could make about 25 Model Ts a day.
1: But but that's that, still a fucking lot. But it wasn't enough, Carrie Ann. But on. 25 cars a day is impressive. Is for it people sitting on a bench. For people sitting on a bench, sure. Yeah.
0: So enter the assembly line. Yep, that's the type of line I was thinking about mm-hmm. earlier. But mm-hmm. can come Not up with the, the word kind. <laughs> <laughs> the assembly line means of production literally changed the manufacturing world forever. Production became more efficient. Cars were being made faster. So, before um, before the assembly line, it took about 12 hours to create one car from start to finish. Right. Now, it took 98 minutes. Damn. 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 And because of this way of manufacturing, he was able to take some of the additional cost off of the car, therefore making it even more popular. This also did create a problem, however... His new way of working was now burning out employees. Of course, they had one task that they were doing all day. That sounds just like my nightmare. Yeah. Capitalism. This created injury, like repetitive motions. Like ergonomics was like not a thing. Right. They all get carpal tunnel. (laughs) They all get. And they just, you know, your brain, like that's not how humans are supposed to operate. Just like general unhappiness, depression, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And the endless repetition took its toll. Turnover became so bad that they had to hire a thousand people for every hundred jobs they hoped to fill. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Which is my actual nightmare. (laughs) His solution to all of this was something called the $5 day. Henry Ford was going to pay twice what other people were paying for labor.
1: Money does not prevent burnout. No. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it helps a little bit. It entices people to. Yeah. S- I'm just there. thinking like mm-hmm. there are some jobs that you could not pay me enough mm-hmm. to be on the assembly line for. Yeah. Quote, like other automobile
0: companies, Ford entered the aviation business during wo- World War
1: I. Yep. Ford Tri-Pacers are a very cool airplane. Are they? They're very Sponsored by Ford
0: Tri-Pacers? Tri-Pacers,
1: yeah. Tri-Pacers. Three engines. Wow.
0: Is that how many more than the average? One to two. One to two. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Building, uh, so he built Liberty, so Liberty Engines was his company, I guess. No. Or the type of engine. I don't know. After the war, it returned to auto manufacturing until 1925 when Henry Ford acquired the Stout metal airplane company. Ford's most successful aircraft was the Ford 4AT trimotor, often called the Tin Goose.
1: Yeah, it's the Ford Tri-Pacer, I think. Is it? Let me see. The Tin Goose. Tin Goose, baby. Tin Goose. Tin Goose, because of its
0: corrugated metal construction. It was uh, a new... I don't even know how this quote is supposed to say. It... You, it used a new alloy called Alclade that combined the corrosion resistance of aluminum with the strength of Duralumin. The plane was similar to Fokker's 173M, <laughs> and some say that Ford's engineers superstitiously measured the Fokker plane and then copied it.
1: So, this is calling the Ford Tri-Pacer the Tri-Motor. Yeah. I'm still pretty certain I've heard it called the Ford Tri-Pacer. That's it. But the yeah. F- yeah. So, the Tin Goose. The Tin so Goose. So, I was just a little bit ahead of you. That's fun. I love it. I like when I know shit. All
0: right. Continue. The Tri-Motor first flew on June 11th, 1926, and it was the first successful U.S. passenger airliner, accommodating about 12 passengers in a rather uncomfortable fashion. <laughs> Several variants were also used by the U.S. Army. The Smithsonian Institution has honored Ford for changing the aviation industry. 199 trimotors were built before it was discontinued in 1933 when the Ford's airline division shut down
1: because of their poor sales during the Great Depression. End quote. Yes. Sorry. Can I do a quick corrections, corner? Because I'm still Googling over here. Yeah. Um, So Piper has the Tri-Pacer. Mm. Ford has the tri-motor. Gotcha. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify because Google is my friend. google I knew there was a tri-pacer, so I'm glad we got you that did cleared good. up. Continue. In 1919,
0: he bought out all of his stockholders in the company. He, his wife, and his son, by the way, he has a son, mm. uh, were now the sole owners of the company. Seems a little shitty to me. Well, I mean, that's a way if you want your business to run... The way you want it to run, you buy out all of the, you buy it out.
1: Yeah, but I feel like that's also like people have bought into your company. I mean, I guess they're still getting their money back, so yeah, that's something. Never mind. So what we'll kind of come to learn is that, uh, I
0: mean, Henry Ford is an interesting person, not the greatest man that ever existed, but his son was much more progressive and like he henry ford never wanted to make any changes they basically made the same car forever until his son was like we're not making this we car have anymore got to make some changes so this is a quote from our good friends at wikipedia quote all of his life ford was a conspiracy theorist and he and his writers drew on a long european tradition of false allegations against jews oh yikes yep Ford himself emphasized the dangers that internationalism posed to traditional American values, which he deemed, which he deeply believed were at risk in the modern world. In the early 1920s, Ford sponsored a weekly newspaper given away by his dealers that published strongly anti-Semitic views. At the same time, Ford had a a reputation as one of the few major corporations actively hiring black workers. He also hired women and, quote, handicapped people at a time when doing so was uncommon.
1: Hmm.
0: Part of his racist and anti-Semitic legacy includes the funding of a square of square dancing in American schools because he hated jazz and associated its creation with Jewish people, end quote. There's so many things to unpack
1: there. I really just don't know where to begin.
0: Yeah, I read a lot of articles on it, and I thought that quote em- encompassed everything in one instead of spending the whole time talking about it. Um, but yeah, he sucks. <laughs> All right, so
1: super don't like Henry Ford.
0: I, I think that he hired whoever would work in his, um, you know, to make him more money.
1: Except for Jewish people.
0: I think he, I don't know that he would actively discriminate against them in his working environment, but I don't think that he, I mean, he obviously uh, spoke out Mm -hmm. with his shitty, racist, and anti-Semitic beliefs.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how anti-Semitism has continued through so much of time. Like, we're still Mm -hmm. blaming Jewish space lasers on things. Jesus Christ. Like, what the actual fuck? Yep. Yep. Do better, people. Right? Do better. Unpack. Unpack your biases. Mm -hmm. Biases. Go go to therapy.
0: Go to therapy. So like I said earlier, luckily Henry's son was of a new age. And he was second in command. And so he did his best to keep Henry Ford in check. Henry was a traditionalist and his son was more progressive. Um, And the market, like I said, was changing. The Model T had its first competitor that came out, which was from Chevrolet. Hmm. General Motors realized that once the market was satisfied, you need a way to continue to convince people to buy a new car, even if they don't need them, which is so true. I mean, literally, you can drive cars into the ground, but nobody wants to do that. So what do they do? Their idea was to make slight changes. And the changes were going to be on how the car looked. So the the bones were going to be this. going to be the same, but they were going to start making slight changes so that people would then be enticed. Which is literally like think about the iPhone. Yeah, it's the same shit. Yep. Exactly. Same, same phone, different same, day. Exactly, and people still line up to buy mm-hmm. the new ones. Yep. The Model T was officially outdated. They ended up having to lay off thousands of people for six months while they came up with a new concept. The Model A was re-released. It's like bell bottoms coming back into style. (laughs) Yes, love it. (laughs) This was more modern, and it also became best-selling. So they were like, oh, thank God, it's, you know, something new. October 1929, we have the stock market crash. He raised the daily wage of his employees and dropped the price of the Model A during this time. Good for him.
1: But he could only do that for so long. I mean, sure, but still, like, way to at least attempt. For sure. Wait, was that Henry or his son? Um, unclear. Okay. Henry was still alive. The Ford Company. Yeah, this is the what Ford they company. chose to Correct. do. yes. I was about to say, that's a very progressive take on how to respond to an economic crisis. That's true. Henry did have the,
0: the $5 a day thing was his idea. So, I mean. So, it's possible. It's possible. In 1931, it did catch up to them. The Model A sales were plummeting. Again, he sent workers home, and he was forced to cut wages. There was a protest outside the manufacturing location where police were involved and four protesters died. Enter the V8 engine. So the V8 engine ended up being like the last great invention of Henry Ford. Um, So Chevrolet had a six-cylinder engine on the market, and the Model T and the Model A were both four-cylinders. So he was like, no, 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 we're not going to do six. We're going to do eight. We're going to do eight. And power it with vegetable juice. And power it with love. Well, not love. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Probably not love. Power it with something. V8 is
1: the vegetable juice, right?
0: Oh, it is. That was a good joke. Thank you. That was a good joke. I didn't get it, and I got it. Great job. Oh, thank you.
1: I feel really good about
0: it. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the VA engine brought back the workers to Henry Ford's facility, and all was right in the world. Henry eventually gave the company over to his son, Edsel, that's his name, Oh, who ran it for years. Edsel did pass away before Henry. He died of cancer years later. And Henry did attempt to, like, take back over the company. Yeah. Quote, His health failing, Ford ceded the company presidency to his grandson, Henry Ford II, in September of 1945 and retired. He died on April 7th, 1947, of a... Cerebral hemorrhage at Fairlane, his estate in Dearborn, at age 83. A public viewing was held at the, Green, the Greenfield Village, where up to 5,000 people per hour filed past, past the casket. Wow. I know. Funeral services were held in Detroit's Catholic Church of St. Paul, and he was buried in the Ford Cemetery in Detroit, end quote. And that is the story of Henry Ford.
1: I feel like i learned so much. The V8 juice did it all, baby. Um, I also hate that he was so super-duper anti-Semitic. Yep, hate it. Like, he did a lot of really interesting and progressive things, with the exception of being hyper-anti-Semitic. Yep. Yep,
0: not great. Don't
1: like it. Yeah,
0: no. Um. So, I think it's interesting because... Here we go. I'm going to attempt intersections here. You do such a good job when you start off with intersections. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You're welcome. I just word vomit into this microphone. Okay, so my thinking is and this is going to be garbage now that sure, I've been go called for out. It. Let's say somebody's in the limelight. Let's say somebody is actually a celebrity. Okay. How does that impact Oh, like there's the perceived image of somebody like
1: bang bang being main character watched.
0: Sure. But like what does that look like when somebody's actually viewed by the public as being a, a public figure? So could Henry huh. Ford, how would that have affected his decision making? And, okay. and even his shitty fucking anti-Semitic views. Right, right. Because he was, I mean, ignorance is due to a lot of things, but a lot of times your surroundings. Right,
1: sure. Oh man, that's a really good good one. And I wonder. I mean, certainly he was popular because, like, he created this brand and the assembly line. But I wonder how many people would have actually recognized him, like out and out and about, out and about. Would he have been like a person that people just kind of knew?
0: I don't like, know. would he have
1: that kind of main character energy, or was it his brand that stood out as having main character energy? Because I think question. that, like, there's definitely a potential overlap. Mm-hmm. Also, he had a newspaper. Right. Super su- anti-Semitic. Super shitty.
0: But in theory, a newspaper would be reporting about, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, you're good. Reporting about people that are being,
1: you know, watched. Yeah. I think the the thing that stood out to me about this and maybe a potential intersection was the evolution of technology mm-hmm. that he experienced and how that may have impacted mm-hmm. people um culturally because we know that you know the cultural implications can impact people's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I don't what was the exact quote it was something about Um, the influence of culture on delusion and cognitive processes. He would have
0: never known that that type of machine making was even possible
1: right? until he saw it. Yeah. And then other people seeing what he was capable of, like I wonder what type of uh, concerns or fears people would have had at that time about machines. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and
0: especially the regulations were shoddy. Right. At best. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Have you read um, The Jungle? By Upton
1: Sinclair? Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe in high school.
0: So it's about, it takes place in Chicago. It is essentially about the meat packing. It's about- That's right. It's it's about um, immigrant families coming over from Europe who- are work in, like, a meatpacking place. And it's just about – it it sheds light on to manufacturing conditions during that time. Uh Uh-huh. And it actually made a lot of changes. But literally, like, you could cut your arm off. Yeah. You know, making a Model T, and, you know, there was nothing for you. Nothing. Sure. So – I don't know.
1: I feel like there's some loose overlap. But I can't think of anything, like, super specific that I'm like, "Huh, This is a definite intersection.
0: I mean, I didn't know.
1: This happens sometimes. It is what it is. She is what she is. You know, I think it's interesting that I come up with the best intersections when I'm writing the synopsis that goes on the episode for, like, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And occasionally that's when the intersection hits me. So stay tuned and actually like go back and read our (laughs) synopses uh, to see if you can spot the intersection that I eventually come up with for this week. That's funny. I... You do a good job of posting those because I feel like otherwise people may not read them. They should. So that's cool. I think I'm pretty funny. You're, You're really good at it. Thank you so much. I try hard. Hard. You do good. Okay. Um,
0: All right, you guys. So that is it this week for Podcasts Without an Audience. Next week, we are bringing it into a little little holiday cheer, which is,
1: God, Christmas is in like five seconds. Holy shit. I know. I need time to slow down just a smidge. I know. Oh, we bet. Oh, my
0: goodness. All right, you guys. Definitely check us out on Instagram. Also, if you want to choose a topic for us, head over to Patreon. We are under podcast without an audience. If you become a patron, you get access to our close friends group on Instagram. You also get access to our secret pasta recipe, which is
1: up for grabs. You Um, are definitely going to want to get on this close friends thing pre-Allie's wedding. That is true. Because you will get up close and personal with the bride, a specific (laughs) bridesmaid, all of the things. Yeah. I will send you pictures of my food from the night. It'll be a whole big deal. The food is good. I chose it myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you support us, bling twice. And
1: if you're out there, keep listening.
0: Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an Odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.